You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Matthew 5.41. We're talking about extra mile living. And we're doing it all under the idea of this serving with excellence. I'll introduce some of that as the message goes on. But can I jump into the text for just a moment? Share with you Matthew 5.41 in the ESV. It says, and if anyone, notice the next word, forces. I want you to pay attention to that word this morning with me, church family, forces. Uh, The translations give different words there, but they all pretty much mean the same thing. So here in, in this text, Jesus is speaking to this audience, and he says, if anyone, to these, this Jewish audience, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And the New Living Translation, it gives us, uh, I think, really in the, in the context of what it would have been then, the soldier, the Roman soldier would have demanded someone to go one mile by Roman law. So if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Carry it two miles. And then I love Eugene Patterson's paraphrase again. It says, and if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Give generously. Excellence in service is our focus this month. And in Ephesians 6, we're going to take another look at a passage in just a few moments. We have a classic look in Scripture at what it means to serve with excellence on the second mile. I was reading a a, a little cute story this week because I'm asking myself, I'm asking you this question, what actually is service? I heard the story of of a, a boy and his dad that went to church and And as they arrived at church, they were walking up to the front of the church to go into the entrance, and there was a uh, a plaque with a list of names on it. And the little boy looked at Daddy and said, Hey, Daddy, what are all those names on that plaque? And the Daddy answered, he said, Well, son, uh, those are men and women who died in the service. And the little boy looked at the front door of the church and said, Which service, the first service or the second service? (laughs) You know, I think sometimes that's how we look at church. It's a gathering. That's what service is. It's a gathering of people. It's a gathering of believers. We often use the word service to describe a Sunday morning service. But I think you'll agree with me that there are many people who come to church not to serve, but to be served. We want the music to be what we like. We want the pastor to say everything like we want it to be said. And we want to leave with a warm, fuzzy feeling. And yet, that's not following the example that Jesus gave us. I don't have the verse on the screen, but just kind of studying this morning, I ran across Matthew 20, and I wished I would have included it because here's his example he left. As Jesus said, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then I love the finality of this passage, and in addition to that, I'll go the extra mile. I'll actually give my life, Jesus said, as a ransom for many. Powerful, isn't it? I challenge you this morning as we look into this text to ask yourself the question, am I living 
on the extra mile. That's what we're talking about in the month of March. And as we review the month of March on the screen, I want you to notice our our core value statement as we enter into this month of March and we focus on that little letter S in the name Gospelite, G-O-S. Service with excellence is our focus. And the next level statement, living with excellence on the next level. We we spoke last week about uh, the prophet Daniel who possessed an excellent spirit. He went the extra mile. He lived on second mile road. He was on the next level. I often refer to a book sometimes when I'm uh, just thinking about business and trying to do things better. It's a book I read called Excellent Wins. I have a picture of it on the screen. It's written by a gentleman by the name of Horst Schultz who founded, co-founder of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Chain. I'm sure not many of you have ever stayed at the Ritz-Carlton. I've never paid for it. I did use my points one time just to experience it, and I will tell you this. It's another level of excellence. In fact, they're always voted the number one hotel chain for the number one in customer service. Some of the stories you read in this book as to the things they do to go the extra mile. Jason, you've read the book before. Some of the things they do will blow your mind. It's all basically a book about excellence and going the next level and the second mile. God is an excellent God. And God seeks excellence in our lives. Just a few things in your notes today to remind us about the excellence of our great God. His character is excellent. In fact, Scripture speaks in Psalm 150 and verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent, His excellent greatness. God requires us, secondly, to approve things that are excellent. He says to the church at Philippi, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It also says, Paul said to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 that doing good works is excellent. The saying is trustworthy. He says, I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. God is in search of excellence. And an excellent spirit of service is all about going the extra mile. The second mile. And our scripture today is from a very well-known passage on the Sermon on the Mount. This was very early in the life of the the disciples, and Jesus was giving the disciples a somewhat of an advanced college course on Christian endurance or on long-suffering. And it was the secret he was giving here called the second mile secret. Uh, Adrian Rogers called it affectionately the smile mile. Here it is in Matthew 541. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, to introduce the message this morning, I, I want to give you just a little bit of an uh, understanding of, of some of the wording and, and, and some of the customs of the day in which this scripture was written. Because that always helps, doesn't it? Notice with me, first of all, the word forces on the screen. Do you see it? Uh, some translations use the word compel or the word demand. If anyone forces you, it carries with it an application. And I want you to remember these two words as we preach in a couple of weeks 
I'll continue this series and we'll, we'll talk about something that will lend itself to this. It, it, it leads us to understand something about being forced. It, it becomes a great inconvenience. It's, it's inconvenient. It's a readiness to submit to unreasonable demands. You see, the Roman mile would have been 100 paces. That would have been a metric mile. Now, to give you a little idea about just the mile and how we understand it, it's an interesting thing that the mile was uh, just back about 200 years ago, a little under 200 years ago, they started tracking who can run the fastest mile in the world. And it was about four minutes and 38 seconds when they first started to calculate it. And then in 1954, a dude by the name of Roger Bannister, and I have a picture of Roger Bannister on the screen, he actually ran the first under four-minute mile. He ran it in three minutes, 59 seconds. It was amazing. They called it the Miracle Mile. He used to run against a guy by the name of John Landy. John's pictured in the screen as well. And... John broke Roger's record 46 days after Roger set the record. He broke it by two seconds. And then they both ran together in about to determine who is the fastest man on the planet. And back in 1954, Roger Bannister beat Mr. Landy in what was called the mile of the century in Vancouver. Bannister won in three minutes and 58 seconds to Landy's three minutes and 59 seconds. The first time two men in the same race broke a four-minute mile. By the end of 1957, 16 runners had logged sub-four-minute miles. You say, Preacher, why are you telling us all this? Well, run reasoning is just to get you connected to this idea of one mile. Because there were no records broken in the text. Not many people run on the second mile. There's no traffic jams on the second mile. There's just not that many people running on it. It helps to understand history. It helps to understand culture as we try to grasp a truth. So let's look at and talk about these milestones for just a minute. Milestones were originally stone. They would have been made of granite or marble or whatever local stone was available in that community. They were widely used by the Roman Empire road builders when the distance traveled per day was only a few miles in some cases. A milestone would have been this, and I have this in your notes. It would have been a series of numbered markers placed alongside a road of regular intervals. I have a small visual for you today of mile markers placed on this stage with a a span between the two to illustrate one mile, two mile. Maybe you've driven down highway systems and and you look at those systems and milestones are placed there. They're constructed there. They're, they're, They're placed there for two reasons. To reassure the traveler that the proper path is being taken and secondly, to indicate distance traveled. Now let's understand something that really applies, and that is the Roman law at that time. The Roman law would have been this, that a soldier could compel, which means order or force, a Jewish man to carry his burden for one mile. For one mile. Can you imagine the Jewish man? All week long, he's been working in the field and he's been gathering and harvesting his crops and his fruits and his produce because he needs to go into town to sell some of them so that he can make money to support his family, right? So he accomplishes that. He heads into town with his little buggy and his baggage and he comes to the marketplace and he begins to set up 
to make sure that he can sell his items that day and he's on time, he's early, when he feels the flat end of a spear press against his shoulder. It's a Roman soldier. And he hears the gruff voice of the Roman soldier say to him, carry my load. He knows by law he has to do it. If he doesn't do it, he'll be beat to death or maybe thrown into prison. But if he leaves his stuff here, he's going to miss the opportunity to sell or even worse, all of his produce will get stolen. And this is how he's going to feed his family. But he's forced to do it. He takes the Roman soldier's load and all he can think about is the one-mile marker. That's it. He begins to walk that journey of one mile. He looks behind him every now and then and sees the Roman soldier drinking a Coke Zero over ice. Man, he's just getting more angry and angry as he walks and bitter and bitter. He cannot wait to get, I mean, not one centimeter past that one mile. That's as far as he's going. He gets to that one-mile marker, which by law, that's all he has to do. That's what he's required to do. That's what the law demands. Angry, bitter, frustrated, he takes that load. He thrusts it down and looks at that Roman soldier and says, There, one mile. I'm done. I've done what I was expected to do. I propose to you this morning that many believers are first-mile people. We have the idea that Christianity consists of a list. You have to go to church. You have to read your Bible. You have to pray. You have to tithe. Kids, you have to obey your parents. Husbands, we have to love our wives. And we think if we check off the list, we've arrived. This is ordinary living. It's not extraordinary living. And Jesus is telling us in this passage to go another mile. In fact, notice with me the wording specifically that Jesus uses here in Matthew 5, 41. He doesn't say anything about the Roman soldier. He says, if anyone, if anyone forces you, his instructions include the compulsion from anyone and not just a Roman soldier, not just an enemy, but If anyone forces you, to you and I today, this might mean if a neighbor, if a co-worker, if a church member, if a family member would compel us to do a certain thing, then we should do twice as much as they expect us to do. Let your mind, heart, and eyes sink into the screen. Go with him. Two miles. Go with him two miles. This would require a cheerful compliance with the Roman law. You see, you can't go the two miles until you're willing to go the first mile. It also denotes a a voluntary doubling of the hardship rather than resistance. In other words, it's not waiting for someone to come to me and say, Could you help me? But rather me making the initiative and saying, what can I do to help you? 
You see, when we do what's expected, we're still on the first mile. Luke 17, 10 tells us, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, that's the first mile. When you've done all that you were commanded on the first mile, you are an unworthy servant. Why? Because you've only done that which was your duty to do. We can easily get a first mile mentality when we do what is our duty to do. At home, my wife will appreciate this example. Oftentimes, she gets up in the mornings and she starts just a spirit-filled gripe. Notice I said spirit-filled. And uh, she says, I just don't understand it, honey. You know, why do they just put the plates in the sink? I mean, I get it. It's nice of them to do that. I mean, at least they're not sitting in the living room. But it takes just a little time to put them in the dishwasher. Zoe and Millie. I mean, (laughs) I'm joking. Well, not, but anyway. I mean, it was nice that they put them in the sink. But the second mile mentality says, you know what, I'm going to take a few extra seconds and put them in the dishwasher. What about at work? You know, maybe you work a job and you finish early one day and, and, and you're done and, you know, you could probably go home, but then you think, wait a minute, you know, it's, it's, it's a 40-hour week. I've, I've worked 38 hours. I've got a couple extra hours this week. I think I'll just go ask if someone needs help. It's not my area. I know that. I don't have to. Maybe at church. You know, it's easy to come on time or late and, and sit down. In fact, you rarely ever hear a pastor, thank you for coming on time. Thanks for being on time. But you know, you often hear people say, thanks for coming early. Coming early is the extra mile. And then instead of sitting down, maybe the extra mile at church could look like, I'm going to shake some hands. I'm going to greet some visitors. I'm going to go out of my way. I don't have to do it, but I'm going to go the extra mile. Maybe in our community, it might look like an opportunity to serve the homeless or to serve at a shelter or something of that nature. Much of what we do in life is just on the first mile. Most people pretty much do what they have to do to get by. So, so what, what's required of me? What do I have to do? A pastor, if I join the church, how often do I have to come? Now, you mentioned in the covenant about giving What does that look like? Are you actually saying I have to give? And if you are, it's okay, but how much? What's the minimum? How often do I have to read my Bible? But but the Christ life is the extra mile. The challenge this morning to us, to me, to you, to my family, is to be a second mile person in a one mile world. What will it take to go the extra mile and to be excellent in service? Three things. I think we see them in the text of Ephesians in chapter number 6 as we look at this passage where Paul gives us three principles of a second-mile Christian. Number one, notice with me the first principle easily seen in this text, and that is this. Christ is the reason we go the second mile. Christ is the reason. And that's what Paul is teaching here. He's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's, he's, he's writing to servants in the first century that are forced that are compelled to serve. And what Paul wants to do here, church, is is give them a reason to serve on the second mile when they find it hard to do. Our missions pastor, Scott, as he was talking about service, 
very appropriately said, service can sometimes be difficult. It can sometimes be hard. Paul knew that, and Paul said, listen, let me give you a reason to do the hard thing, Jesus. Jesus is the reason to serve on the second mile. Look at the text in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. He says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and with trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Paul says, what you are doing is really for Jesus, not the job. It's for Jesus. Ephesians 6, 7, he says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Again, notice on the screen the wording here in those two passages, Ephesians 6, 5, Ephesians 6, 7, as you would Christ, as to the Lord. That's what Paul is teaching. We, we serve, we, we go the second mile, and the reason we do it is for Christ, it's for the Lord. Our example is Christ, do it for him. It means the same as if Jesus were asking. If you would go out of your way because Jesus has to do something, because you want to fulfill his desires, do the same for others. Because there are going to be times when God asks us to do things that are hard, things that don't make sense. Things that are difficult to give something to others when we need it more ourselves. We were challenged this morning maybe to do a hard thing. Maybe to go the extra mile. We, we heard a few very kind, affectionate, loving, I thought, statements like, hey, we're not asking for nickels and dimes here. We want you to consider the bigness of, the, of, this, of this mission, uh, uh, this idea that there's 7% of a population in the city that go to church. There's a reason to give. Let's go the extra mile. It's hard. It's hard to give when the cash flow isn't flowing. That's hard. It's hard to give when there's some things that we need, maybe even in our minds more than what someone else needs. To forgive someone that we don't think deserves it. Everything in our logic says this is not right. That's too much. It's not fair. But God is asking us to go the extra mile with an excellent spirit. Because if you're going to see extra mile blessings, you have to have an extra mile obedience. Think with me again about that Jewish man we illustrated a moment ago. Picture him again as he's forced to carry that burden for one mile. He reaches that one mile marker, but this time he thinks about the statement that Jesus made. If anyone asks you to go, forced you to go one mile, Go two miles. He's about ready to throw his burden down, but he thinks about that statement. Every, mile, every step he's taken so far has been for the soldier, but he's about to take a step for Jesus. The first step he takes for Jesus is on the second mile. And every step he takes, it gets easier. Every step he takes, the load gets lighter. Every step he takes, he has more joy. Mr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers was right. It's on the second mile that you begin to smile. It's on the second mile that joy comes and fulfillment comes when you realize you're doing this for Jesus. But church, I can assure you, when you go that extra mile, there are going to be critics. 
You've experienced it maybe. I've experienced it. I hear it oftentimes in this terminology. Be careful. I understand there's a lot the church is asking you to do down there. I notice you're going back to church. or I notice there's quite a few opportunities and you seem to always volunteer. Watch out for burnout. You're going to burn out. But it's interesting those same people never say, I've been noticing you've been golfing a lot lately. Watch out for burnout. 18 holes is a lot. Be careful on that fishing. It's the third time this week you're going to burn out. Hey, you watch a lot of television. You're going to burn out on that TV. What about all these video games? Burn out. No, it's never that. Just, just don't burn out for Jesus. There's an example of the compelling of a man to carry the cross for Jesus. We find it in Matthew chapter number 27, verse 32. It's a man by the name of, Siren of Simon of Cyrene. You're familiar with the story. I have a little picture on the screen uh, of, of this, just depicting this, because I want you to live in this moment for just a second with me. It says in Matthew 27, 32, that they went out as Jesus was walking on that road to the cross. Good Friday is in front of us. This was Good Friday. And as Jesus is walking down that road, they found a man. His name was Simon of Cyrene. And they compelled him. They forced him. They demanded him, carry his cross. Church, you and I will have many opportunities in life that we will be compelled. That we will feel forced to do something that we can't really resist. Simon of Cyrene had no choice but to carry the cross of Christ. I was enamored by this subject as I looked at it in all of the Gospels. I found it to only be in three of the Gospel, and then I found something interesting about the three accounts. They were, they were a little bit different. I called a friend and asked him what he thought about it. He said, you know, I've thought about that as well. And, and we were thinking just through this thought of Simon the Cyrene having the blood of Jesus Christ on his neck and on his face. And as I began to study this passage, my friend said, I can't make the connection for sure. But in Matthew 27, it doesn't mention something that Mark mentions as he writes to this Roman audience. Mark mentions someone in the story. He mentions Simon's sons. He says in Mark chapter number 15 and verse 21 that they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and it says that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Carry his cross. So my friend said, you know, it may be interesting that when Paul is writing to this Roman audience, he, it's interesting how he concludes in the book of Romans in chapter 16, he concludes by mentioning a man by the name of Rufus and his mother. You can't help but to wonder if this is a connection to Simon, if this is his son and his wife. He mentions in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, Paul says, greet Rufus. Rufus is chosen in the Lord. And greet his mother because she's been a mother to me. Could there be a connection here that his life was impacted so much as he carried the cross of Christ, as he went that extra mile? Could it be that his life was so impacted by that moment that he gave his life to Christ, his children gave their lives to Christ, his wife gave her life to Christ, and here they are in Romans 16 impacting the life of the Apostle Paul. And I can't help but to challenge dads and grandfathers in this room because I'm both. 
that little people are watching us. That if Simon was on the side of that road, and if Alexander and Rufus were on both sides, and Simon was forced to carry that cross, the impact of watching their dad carry the cross of the Savior, the Lamb, who was slain from the foundations of the earth. Could it be that our lives, living testimony of God's grace in our lives, going the extra mile, could that have such an influence on our kids and grandkids that we could change the next generation of churchgoers? Not to just be those that sit and soak and sour, but who serve. Remember, the second mile philosophy will not be an enjoyable trip unless we do it for the Lord. It's not fun unless you do it for Jesus. I can tell you that for sure. Look at the text. In Romans 6, 5, it says, bond servants, slaves, obey your masters. That's not fun unless you do it for Jesus. Go above and beyond, he says here. Do it with the right spirit. You know something about spirit? You can't hide spirit. You can't hide it. Your kids can't hide spirit. You can see it on their faces, right? Their countenance gives it away. My first ministry job, I was 19 years, well, no, excuse me, I was actually, I was, I was probably 21 or 22, honey, because we were about a year away from getting married. I was working at Sears and Roebuck. I've never told this story. It just popped into my mind as I was preparing the message about, I was asking myself the question, okay, Eric, when did you start understanding doing things with the right spirit? And I really believe it was when I took this job of being a janitor at Hammond Baptist High School. I was working at Sears. I was a salesman. My normal shift was after class from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. I needed extra money because I was getting married. I had to buy a ring, get ready for a honeymoon. So I got a second job. My job started at 10 p.m. and went till 2 a.m. Did this for one year, and then I'd get, be in class by 8 a.m. the next morning, Monday through Friday, cleaning an elementary school. Can I tell you something about elementary bathrooms? You let an elementary kid or 50 or 60 of them use a bathroom all day long, it's one of the most disgusting things you'll ever clean in your lifetime. That was my first job. It wasn't pastoring a church. Just those of you that, you know, are looking forward to pastoring one day, make sure you've cleaned toilets first. It'll change your life. I still clean toilets every now and then. But I remember cleaning those toilets, and it tested my spirit and my attitude. On the checklist, it was clean behind the vending machine. I don't know what it is about vending machines, but behind it, it's nasty. Look behind any vending machine. It'll, it's disgusting. And this was on the list. They must have known how disgusting it was. So here I am, getting off of Sears and Roba, going to this high school, cleaning these toilets, cleaning behind. And, and, and I remember, as I think back to when God began to impact my life, to go the second mile and do it for Jesus and do it with the right spirit, I can tell you, I wasn't cleaning those bathrooms for those kids that kept missing the toilet. I had to remind myself, I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this for Christ. The only way I could keep my sanity. I'm cleaning behind this vending machine. I'm not doing it because I'm checking it off the list. I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's to do things with excellence for Jesus. He says then in Ephesians 6, 5, the next phrase is fear and trembling. Obey your earthly masters. Do it with fear and trembling. I believe he's saying here that we are to obey them the same as if someone was going to punish you for not doing it. I liken this to driving down the highway. 
You and I have the same reaction. I guarantee it. When you see a police car, what do you do? Thank you. You press the brake. There's nobody in here that presses the accelerator. And by the way, you press the brake if you're speeding or not speeding. Doesn't matter. You see the cop car and you automatically fear and trembling. <laughs> you press on that brake. And then what do you do? You do what I do. You start looking like you never did anything wrong. <laughs> I'm good. And then he says, do it with a sincere heart as you would Christ. It's amazing how often when we read about service that it talks about the heart. No hidden agenda. The King James says, do it with a singleness of heart. No other reason to serve but just just to serve. Just to serve for Jesus' sake. Paul writes the Colossians, and Paul covers all relationships in that book, and he says a similar thing as he did to the church at Ephesus in Colossians 3 and verse 17. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Church, can I I announce something to you today? Serving Jesus is one of the greatest privileges I've ever had in all the world. But sometimes, it's hard. And sometimes, I get tired. And sometimes, it it, it can become time-consuming. And sometimes, I get weary of it. And I'm reminded what Paul said, don't be weary in well-doing. In due season, you'll reap if you faint not. God desires us to serve with the right motive. Do it, church, for Jesus' sake. Number two, Christ is the reason we go the second mile. Secondly and quickly, we represent Christ on the second mile. Remember that principle. We represent Christ on the second mile. Look with me at Ephesians 6, 6, and as we dive into this a little bit more, it says, not by the way of eye service, not as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. I'm representing Christ. I'm doing the will of God. Here it is again. I'm doing it from the heart. I'm not doing it to be noticed. I'm not doing it to please man. I'm doing it to represent Jesus Christ, and I'm doing it from the heart. We should do everything as seen by Christ. We go the second mile as a husband. We go the second mile as a wife. We go the second mile as a dad. We go the second mile as a mom. We go the second mile as an employee to represent Jesus Christ. That's why for 30 years I've been quoting this poem that I memorized when I was 16 years old. I've been quoting it every year for 30 years, multiple times a year. That God has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men to his way. He has no help but our help to lead men to his side. And he has no tongue but our tongue to tell men that Christ died Because we are the only Bible this careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message. Written in deed and in word. So what if the line is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if our hands are busy with with other works than his? What if our feet are leading where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things that Christ would spurn? How can we hope to aid him and hasten his return? 
you know, more than winning a national championship. I'm looking forward to getting those girls together and treating them to a nice meal and saying congratulations. But more than that, I'm just happy that the leadership noticed that there was something different about you guys. I'd rather somebody notice that we reminded them that we really are a Christian college than win a national championship any day. But I will take both. (laughs) I will take both. When people see you serve, when people see you react, when people see you speak, when people see you work, remember, you are representing Jesus. What people think of you, they may think of Christ. Paul said it like this. The powerful passage in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 2 and verse 15, he said that we send off a smell to others. We smell like something to others. We are the aroma of Christ, he says, among those who are being saved. We are the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. And there's so much more here than we can go into. And to others, a fragrance from life to life. And this last little statement, who, who is sufficient for these things? Who is even worthy to carry this aroma? We're not worthy. But we can partner with Jesus Christ and represent Christ. And as we represent Christ, his aroma begins to affect those around us. This is what God is calling us to. Paul has described Christians as being the aroma of Christ on earth. Christ permeates our being so that the essence of him travels with his believers, his followers into their relationships with everyone they know, saved and lost. When we walk the second mile, we represent Christ to others. Question, do people see Jesus in you? I love that verse that we've used since day one of our church. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And sometimes we have to do that when it's hard. But it's for Jesus' reputation. And when it's hard, don't talk yourself out of it. I don't know about you, but it's easy to talk myself out of doing something hard. But if it's for Jesus' sake then I have often found that the more difficult it is, the greater the blessing. If God is asking you this morning to forgive someone, and by the way, sometimes when we're able to forgive someone, it means we're willing to do the hard thing and go the second mile. Maybe you've been holding on to something for years. Today, walk the second mile. You're not excusing their behavior. You're just letting go of the poison. You're forgiving them. And if you could see what God has for you on the other side of forgiveness, you wouldn't think twice about it. There's extra mile blessings, new relationships, new opportunities, greater joy. Another scenario might be that God is asking you to keep a good attitude in a negative situation. Anybody ever been in the middle of a negative situation? It's really hard to have a good attitude. You're working hard. You're not seeing growth. You're praying for your kid to come back to church and he just not even thinking about it. Business is slow and you're tempted to complain. Do the hard thing. Keep thanking God. Keep being good to people. Keep declaring the victory. You are representing Jesus on the second mile. Those are the hard yards. But represent Christ well on the second mile. And then in closing, thirdly, The third principle I see in Ephesians 6 is this, clearly, that the rewards are found 
on the second mile. If you're like me, I usually do things when I understand the reward. Amen? Is that okay? I I think it is. I mean, according to Scripture, it's okay because Paul reminds us that when we walk with the Lord, there are blessings. There's a second mile blessing. Look at Ephesians 6, 8. It very clearly says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, I love this, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or whether he is free. When Paul writes the Colossians, he says a similar thing in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. Whatever you do, here it is again, church, don't miss this. This is such a good touchdown statement. Work heartily. Whatever you do, give your heart. Do your best. Do it for the Lord, not for men. Why? Why do it for the Lord and not for men? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Why? You're serving the Lord Christ. But you know what's really cool, church? You don't just get a reward in the future. You're rewarded now. We also receive rewards on earth when we don't retaliate, when we don't seek revenge, when we don't react in a way that would displease Christ. There is a second mile mentality here not burning bridges, understanding that there's always a chance that God could, could restore that relationship. So don't react in a way that would seek revenge against someone that's hurt you. Go the second mile and love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Work heartily. Why? There's joy when we go the second mile from the heart. Remember, the first mile required by law. But the second mile... That's for Jesus. That's voluntary. I didn't have to do it. I'm not demanded to do it. I'm not compelled to do it. I'm not forced to do it. I'm voluntarily doing it because I want to represent Christ, because I love Christ. Men in our homes, let's go the second mile. Ladies in our homes, let's go the second mile, and let's do it from the heart. That's where the joy is. Mr. Rogers was right. That's where the smile is. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where the fun is. You say, preacher, did you actually have fun cleaning those buildings? You know, I don't know that I can say it was fun, (laughs) to be completely honest. It was nasty. But I can say this, I had fun. I had fun. It wasn't fun, but I had fun because I convinced myself of this biblical truth that if I do it for Jesus, everything can be fun. Everything can be enjoyable. I love being a dad. It's not easy. I love being a husband. It's not always easy. It hasn't been for 34 years, but I love it, honey. I love you, and I I love what God's given us. It's tough. It's hard. It's difficult sometimes. God asked me to do the hard thing sometime. As a pastor, I don't know how in the world. I've stayed here for 30 years. I don't mean you. I mean me. Like, how does a guy stay for 30 years? It's not easy. Most people don't do it. The average tenure of a pastor in the SBC, I've heard, I may be wrong, but I've heard it's like 2.4. I, I don't look at that as well. Look at me. I'm just saying, I, I probably should have quit at 2.4. <laughs> that's the average. That's what, that's what normal people do. You stay a couple of years, it gets tough. You go somewhere else, right? I did enough. I did my best. If they don't appreciate me, I'll go somewhere else. You could do the same thing. I'm out of here. I don't like the music. I'm out of here. I don't like the pastor. Or you could go the extra mile. I'll tell you how you stay 30 years. 
You just do it for Jesus. You do it for Jesus. I, I think I stay faithful in a marriage of 34 years, not because it's convenient, not because it's easy. You say, man, are you trashing your wife? Not at all. She would say the same thing. I love her. She loves me. I, we, we are happily married. But I'm going to tell you something. There have been times when we have had stress and, and our relationship has been fractured and hurt and we've had to forgive when we didn't want to. Because we were right and they were wrong. But you go the second mile. And you look back and you're like, dude, 34 years is a pretty long time, sweetheart. Maybe we could do this. Maybe we can make it. Although I am hearing about a lot of guys that are bailing at 40 years. Jason, I am. So I guess I could too. But honey, let's just keep going the second mile in our relationship. It's not easy. It's hard. Church, let's go the second mile in our relationship. If I've offended anyone in this room, God, reveal it to me so that I can go to you before you come to me. But if I don't go to you, would you come to me? Let's get it right. Let's not harbor bitterness and anger and frustration. Let's get it right. Let's work through it so we can smile and have fun serving God together on the second mile. Extra mile living. So what does it take to go the extra mile? Christ is the reason. We represent Christ and the rewards are found on the second mile. When you're going to the next level in excellence, when you're going to the next level in service, don't be surprised when God asks you to do a hard thing. Go the extra mile. And maybe like Simon of Cyrene, as we carry that cross, forced to do it, compelled to do it, but as we carry that cross, little did we know that little Alexander and Rufus were watching. And one day they're going to say, Daddy, it changed my life forever when you went that extra mile for Jesus, who is now my Savior and my Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, as we sing and worship and praise God, I wonder if I'm talking to someone this morning who would say, Pastor, I'm saved. And I really am convinced that I'm I'm living on the second mile. Well, then I want to admonish you to stay on that second mile. Stay on it, church. Don't leave it. Stay faithful to it. But maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I am saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. But I'm not living on the second mile. I ask you today, by God's grace, would you begin that journey? Would you begin this morning? You can start today right here in this service by committing yourself to that second mile. Look for opportunities today at home, at Walmart. Just ways that you can go beyond what's expected of you to do. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved. And you would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure if I'm a Christian. I've walked into this building and I I sense something different and, and there's something God wants me to do. I believe that's the Holy Spirit of God right now working in your heart. Today is your day to be saved. Would you do that? Would you trust Christ today right where you're seated or come to the front and and let me or one of the elders take a moment to pray with you and make this decision to trust Christ. Finally, maybe God's asking you to do something really hard. To forgive someone. To give even though you really don't see how you can do it. 
Maybe to be more disciplined in what you're watching on television. Maybe to go back to school. Sharpen your skills. Because God's calling you to do something in service to him. Whatever it is, be willing to do the hard thing and go the extra mile. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing. And whatever God is speaking to your heart about this morning, I pray that you would respond and the altars are open and we still, we give what you might call, you know, an old-fashioned altar call. It's just an opportunity for you to come or for you to sit or for you to stand and worship. Whatever the Holy Spirit is, is leading you to do in response, don't, don't wait, don't delay, don't put it off. Go the extra mile. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for the opportunity to unpack this scripture. Father, I pray that you would take the words of of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. God, may it be acceptable in thy sight. Because, God, you are my strength and my redeemer. Lord, I pray that right now, even now, God, you would speak and work and move in such a way, Father, that we would leave this place with the determination to represent Christ well on that second mile. I love you, Father. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together? Altars are open.